0: And peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At the top of your message outline, which you find in your worship folder, a very interesting Bible passage, a Bible passage which may surprise you, a Bible passage which may challenge you, a Bible passage you may actually wonder about from time to time. But the wisdom writer, probably Solomon, who wrote these words in Ecclesiastes in the third chapter, the 11th verse says, God does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. And to that, all of God's people would probably say, amen. I mean, isn't that the truth? We don't always know what God is doing. We don't always know when he's going to do it. We don't always know why he does what he chooses to do. In fact, much of our life is lived not on our timetable, it's lived on God's timetable. Today we're going to take a look at how to experience or how to practice extreme believing. Extreme believing, particularly when God chooses to delay. Those times when we are forced to wait on God. And we're going to look today at a man by the name of Abraham, because if ever a man had to wait on God... It was Abraham. Let me take you back in the Old Testament. God comes to Abraham and tells him that he's going to be a great nation. Took him outside and said, Abraham, look at, the, look at the sky. You see the stars? Your descendants will be as many as the stars. Took Abraham out and said, look around. And being in the desert, he said, what do you see? Well, I see sand. He said, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore, more than you can count. So he gave him this great big promise of a great big nation, but Abraham had to wait a little bit for that to happen. He waited 100 years. Now what's the longest you have ever waited for a promise of God to take place? I was thinking about how I would answer that myself, and, and I got to thinking that from as small as I can remember, I had wanted to be a pastor. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian family. I was raised by my grandparents. A tornado came through and destroyed the farm, and it moved them into the big town of Seward, Nebraska, where I was fortunate to go to St. John's Lutheran Grade School and Concordia Lutheran High School and Concordia College. But it was when I was really little, when I was watching my pastors, whether they be Pastor Yauk or Pastor Spitz or one of my favorite ones, Pastor Heidemann, I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. When I would come with my grandpa on a Saturday and I would help change the hymn numbers on the hymn boards, and, and I loved the vacuum, particularly after weddings, because I like to see where I'd been. You know, it's fun to vacuum up rice and hear it go into the vacuum and see where you've actually been. But every once in a while, Pastor Heidemann would ask me to help him. with something. But I always knew I wanted to be a pastor. It was as if God had promised that to me. But it seemed like every time I turned around, something else got in my way. For example, one thing God put in my way, turned out to be an awesome detour, is called Nancy. And, uh, you know, falling in love with Nancy and, uh, you know, at age 19, being a sophomore in college, marrying Nancy out of high school, and uh, we started off our journey, and she'll remember that a couple of different times I applied to go to the seminary, but it never seemed to be the right time. It was like another three or four more years to wait, and children came, and Jobs changed, and along the way, God kept doing a few things that were altering, but there was a dream there. And it wasn't really until it was almost when I was 40 years old that the dream actually came true, going to the seminary and finally graduating from the seminary and finally being out in the ministry. But guess what? The dreams haven't ended there because there's always more dreams. All the while that God's doing I'm going to talk a little bit about dreams today. But I'm just saying that sometimes God's timetable is different than ours. I've told many people that had I gone right from high school to college to seminary to become a pastor, I'm not sure I'd be a pastor anymore today. I'm not sure why I feel that. I just don't think I was prepared. See, God knew something I didn't know. That's why there was a delay in the process. But now Abraham had to wait 100 years. Most of us probably won't even make it that long. Now, what do you do when you're waiting on God, when what you think God wants for your life doesn't happen? I think the Bible suggests at least five different things. Here's the very first thing I think the Bible suggests, and it's this, that we need to understand the six phases of faith. You know that there are six phases of faith. The very first phase is this, it's that dream. Now, if I think back about the dream of being a pastor, God gave me that dream. Now, sometimes that dream comes to you very early in life. God shows it to you. Sometimes it comes in midlife. I mean, I certainly know men who, after a period of time, suddenly at the age of 30 or 40 said, man, I I really ought to be doing this in life. Sometimes it happens to a college student after their, their freshman year or sophomore year, and they say, I need to change my major, and I need to do this instead of that. Sometimes it comes late in life. The dream came to Abraham when he was 75 years old. Wayne Cranfill and I went to a conference this last weekend in the Dallas area, and most of the speakers were pretty young. I mean, compared to Wayne and I, most anybody's pretty young. Uh, in fact, one of the pastors is 29 years old. Boy, what a ball of energy that little dude is. Uh, spiky hair, the whole nine yards. But I tell you, the guy that I was intrigued by, made me think about, was 71. I thought, well, i got a few years yet to go. He seemed like he had a little energy, a little stuff left in him. He still had some dreams. In fact, he pastors a church called, I don't know, it's called Dream Makers or something. It had something to do with dreams. Really interesting. The dream came to Abraham at age 75. I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. But here here comes phase number two. It's called decision. God gives you the dream, but you've got to decide whether you're going to act on it. You're going to have to act on it. And every godly dream has a step where you need to take a step of faith. I think back to when I finally decided maybe the seminary thing and being a pastor was a thing to do. And so rather than work basketball camps like I had normally done as as a high school basketball coach, would be to go to the seminary one summer, just to see what it was like. That was kind of a step of faith, and I really remember after the very first class, it's called the History of Lutheranism in America, which isn't, by the way, the most exciting class you'll ever take. I think I came back to the dorm and called Nancy, and I said, this is it. And so we began to make plans, and you know, when you sell your house, and you've got a daughter that's going to be a senior, a senior coming into high school, and, You're going to have to make plans about that. There's a step of faith. There's a little bit of risk. You're kind of putting yourself out there a little bit. See, when God gives you a dream and he says, I I want you to do this with your life, there does always come that point when you say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. Now, sometimes it's a little itty-bitty step of faith. Sometimes it's a giant leap of faith that God asks you to do to get to that dream. It's changing a career, it's changing a job, it's moving to a different city, it's changing profession. I don't know what it could be, but if God's giving you a dream, there comes a time when you just need to suck it up and do it. But then comes phase three, which is a delay. There's sometimes a delay. It's a gap between the God-given dream and the time when God actually fulfills it. I mean, I couldn't say, I want to be a pastor and immediately become a pastor, at least not in our tradition. I should have joined another denomination. I could have just said, I got a Bible, I'm a pastor. That works in some places. I mean, 11 years after God gave Abraham his dream, a- Abraham is now 86 years old. He still doesn't have any children. Genesis 16, 1 says, but Sarah had not borne him any. Now, what happened in that 11-year period of waiting? Anybody know what happened in those 11 years? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. He was just waiting on God. I mean, I don't mean he was sitting in his tent every day and just kind of sitting there. He was waiting because he was waiting for what God was going to show him next. He, he was tempted to doubt, that's for sure. He was tempted to despair. I know that. He probably was tempted to take detours. We know he actually took a few detours thanks to his wife, Sarah. But God says, no, you're going to have to wait for the fulfillment of the dream I've given you because I want you to grow. I want you to stretch. I want you to be ready. That's why I think it took me four years to get in the ministry. God says, Barry, you've got a few rough spots on you. You know, before you can ever be a diamond, we've got to chip some stuff off you. And I'm not saying I'm a diamond today. You know, but he had to beat some sense into me. And my grandpa used to always say, it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beating. It took me a while to figure out I was that horse he was talking about. I had to learn a few things along the way. And that's what happens sometimes during delay. You're waiting, and while you're waiting, God's doing stuff with you. He's just getting you ready. Well, sometimes there's phase number four, and that's a difficulty. God not only lets you wait for a long time, but sometimes he actually allows you to have problems where things can actually go from bad to worse to Impossible. And notice that at the age of 99 now, Abraham still did not have a child. And by the way, he was not marrying some 27-year-old. Sarah at this time is 89 years old. Anybody here over 80 years old contemplating having a baby soon? Okay. Genesis 17, 18. How can a son be born to a man my age? I mean, Abraham says, I'm, I'm, I'm about as good as done, and Sarah, she's a dried-up old prune. I mean, I'm just translating the Hebrew somewhat literally here. What's worse is in this process, God even changes Abraham's name. Do you ever you think about that? His name had been Abram, and now he says, oh, by the way, while we're waiting, can I change your name to Abraham? And Abraham means what? Father of a great nation. Now, can you imagine that? Hey, buddy, what's your name? Uh, Father of a great nation. Oh, how many kids you got? Uh, None. (laughs) I mean, kind of embarrassing. But it's a test of faith. But eventually, when, when Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, they have a miracle baby named Isaac. Now, we know that Sarah didn't believe she's ever going to have this baby, because when the angel of the Lord came and said, Sarah, you're going to have the baby, she laughed. She laughed. Well, we know that she didn't have any faith, because any 90-year-old woman who would find out she was pregnant would not laugh. She would what? She would cry. She would cry. But Sarah laughs. Abraham laughs. But guess what? God gets the last laugh. Why? He says, call the baby's name Isaac, which means what? Laughter. Oh, man, God is good. Got the last laugh on you, too. But sometimes there's phase number five, and that's a dead end. A dead end to your dream. He waits till he's 100 years old and he has a son. But as the son begins to grow up, along comes God who says what? I want you to give him back to me. I want you to sacrifice him on an altar to me. Now, Abraham must have been scratching whatever hair he may have had left and thinking, what kind of a god is this? He's asking me to sacrifice the very dream child that he promised me. Now, how do you know when you've got to a dead end? How do you know when you got to a dead end? Well, you feel hopeless. Some of you are at a dead end right now. You're looking at your budget and you're saying, We're at a dead end. Some of you are at a dead end in your career. Some of you are at a dead end when it comes to some friendships. I don't know how many of you are on Facebook. I happen to have a Facebook page. I got more friends than I knew I had. Uh, but I, I happened to get a little notice from one of them this morning who changed his relationship from in a relationship to it's over. A young person, it's over. They had come to a dead end in their relationship. Some of you may be thinking you're at a dead end in your marriage. Some of you say you might be in a dead end, in a physical dead end. Or When you're at that stage, what happens? You begin to doubt God's wisdom, you begin to doubt His love, and you begin to say, why is this happening to me? friends, if this is where you are, if you're at a dead end this morning, I got one word for you. Congratulations. I mean, the book of James says when, when you get all these trials, trials and problems of many different colors, guess what? Now you got a chance to work with God. I, I, I don't remember the sermon, but I, I remember the title of a sermon I preached many years ago. It was called Helpless and Hopeless, Just Where God Wants Us. Because when we are down and out, the only place we got is up and through. You know, all the thing we have left is Jesus. See, God is getting us ready for phase number six when things seem to be at a dead end. It's called deliverance. That's phase six, deliverance, because friends, sometimes the greater the dead end, the more of a miracle is going to be. Then you're going to say only God could have done that. I mean, so God's getting you ready for some miracle in your life if you feel like you're at a dead end. I mean, God is going to take us all through these six six, six phases of faith at many times in our life, I mean, over and over again. I can look back at my own life now. I mean, I've got 64 years to look back. I'm not quite as many years as some of you yet. But what I see is that over and over, I have gone from dreams to decisions to delays to difficulties to dead ends to deliverance, and I look back now, I can kind of look at life with a little bit of a rearview mirror, and I know that God has been working on my faith during that time. And I, 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 would, I would suspect that all of you could probably go back and say, okay, I remember that dream, and I remember that delay, and I remember that decision. In fact, everybody who's here this morning is at one of these stages right now. Do You know what stage you're at right now? I don't. I mean, I know, what it, I know what it is for me. But do you know where you are right now in those six stages? Some of you are in the dream phase. You're kind of getting an idea. Some of you are in the delay stage. You're wondering where this is all going. Some of you are in the in the difficulty stage. You can't quite figure out what, what's going on. You're trying to do good, but everything seems to be kind of bugging you. Some of you are at the dead end. You wonder if you're ever going to get out of this mess. Some of you, you know, you're not quite sure where you're at. See, that's why you have to understand how God works in your life. If you're gonna learn to be patient. And learn to keep on believing. So our our very first point was what? Understand those six phases of faith. But here's the second thing you need to do. Once you understand that, number two, remember what God can do. Remember what God can do. The situation may be out of control, but guess what? It is not out of God's control. A couple of weeks ago or a week ago, I traded in my truck on 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 a car. Not a new car, a new used car. And, and I happened to mention that to a friend of mine, and, and he wrote me back, and he said, I'm thinking I might need to do the same. And I didn't think much about it until the next day I got pictures of his truck. I mean, he knew, I knew he drove, drove a truck, too. But, well, guess what? Uh, he was driving with his wife, with his daughter, and with their little baby grandchild, their pickup truck, driving someplace. The car got out of control. It did a 180, and it rolled over on one side and over onto the top and over onto the other side. Guess what? They were all able to crawl out. And his comment was, when we were out of control, God certainly was in control. That happens to a lot of us. We need to understand what God can do. I mean, don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what God can do. That's why I always hate when I go to meetings and people go, oh, we can't do that. (laughs) Now, go join the first church you can't do. I mean, stick around here with the church that God can do anything. See, what can God do? Romans 4, 17 says, Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and creates something out of nothing. Right there, friends, is a definition of a miracle. Gives life to the dead, creates something out of nothing. Either God brings it back to life Or brings it out of nowhere. See, God can give life to a dead career. God can give life to a dead marriage. God can give life to a dead dream. He can give life to dead finances. He can bring something out of nothing. Jesus said in Luke 18, anything is possible if you have faith. Now, the question is, what did Abraham put his faith in? Did he put his faith in his feelings? I feel like this is going to be a better day. Did he put his faith in positive thinking? No, he believed in God. Now, I believe in positive thinking. But positive thinking and faith are not the same thing, friends. I mean, you've heard these goofy songs, you know, I believe for every drop of rain that falls a flower grows. Oh, hogwash. I mean, if every drop of rain that fell produced a flower, you'd have tiptoed through the tulips on the way to church this morning. I mean, positive thinking works in situations where you have control over the situation. But it's worthless in times that are totally out of control. That's why when you come to your dead end in life, whatever that dead end may be, you need more than just a happy thought. You need more than just putting a little smiley face on the situation. See, the only thing that will change whatever circumstances you find yourself in is extreme That's why I started this message series. Extreme days take extreme faith. Faith in God works when things are out of your control. And guess what? Most of your life is out of your control. So when you get to a dead end, you need to remember what God can do. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Here's the third thing rely on God's promises. This whole series has been built around God's promises, Romans 4.18. When hope was dead within him, Abraham went on hoping in faith. Notice this, he relied on the word of God. Now, how do you know when hope is dying? I'll give you a clue. Hope is dying when you start using the word never. I'm never going to get married. I'm never, or we're never going to have a baby. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never going to get what I want in life. I'm never going to change. Now, what do you do when hope starts to die within you? Romans 4.18 says, you know, uh, when hope was dead, Abraham went on hoping in faith. But this wasn't wishful thinking. This wasn't positive thinking. This was extreme believing. Now, how do you practice extreme believing when you feel like giving up or doubting? Romans 8 says he relied on God's word. And guess what? There is not a thing in this world that is more reliable than God's word. This morning I I wrote a quick blog before I came to church, and, and I wrote on something called, Who Are You Listening To? And a lot of us listen to a lot of different people. But you're really only listening to about four different people. You either listen to God, or you listen to the devil, or you listen to other people, or you listen to yourself, and i got news for you, three out of those four are terribly unreliable. You want to listen to God, what God has to say in a situation. He relied on God's Word. If you're going to be the man of faith or a woman of faith, you've got to get God's Word, you've got to get God's promise somehow in your life. Now, Abraham relied on the Word of God that kept him going when hope wanted him to give up. I mean, that's why we need to not only have this book, we've got to open this book, we've got to read this book, we've got to study this book, we've got to meditate on this book. We need to memorize Bible verses. In fact, I felt so stoked up about this that I've given you two extreme Bible verses to memorize this week. Two of them. Matthew 19:26, pretty easy for you to memorize. With God, everything is possible. That's a pretty good passage to remember. With God, everything is possible. The other one is Galatians 5:6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I, I have those in different versions. If you want to go back and look at your King James Version or NIV or New LT or the that, I don't care. You just get God's Word in you. We looked at that passage this morning in Bible class from Psalm 119. I, I want to hide your Word within me so that I might not sin against you. It's there when you need it. See, when you get the promises of God in your life, you're able to have hope in faith rather than giving up. When you come to a dead end, you rely on the promises of God. I mean, my life seems all out of whack. What do I do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make straight your paths. My paths are crooked. Where did I go wrong? (laughs) I can tell you where I go wrong most often. I rely on my own understanding. I mean, you'd think with three master's degrees and the doctorate, you'd know something. Guess what? You don't know anything. I got news for you, folks. As smart as you think you are, you're pretty dumb in the sight of God. Sorry about that. Burst some of your bubbles, I know. Just the way it is. But see, when you get the promises of God in your life, you suddenly wise up. You start relying on hope and faith and than giving up. Hebrews 11, seven, while God was testing him, Abraham still trusted in God and his promises, so he offered his son, Isaac. Isn't that amazing? Out of faith, he said, okay, Abraham, offer up your son. Okay. And you kinda go, how could he do that? Well, I think there are at least three reasons he followed through. One of them was that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. I mean, if he had to sacrifice him, you read Hebrews 11, verse 19, in the great hall of faith, Abraham believed that even if he had killed his son, God would have raised him back to life. Second thing was, he told his servant, if you remember the story in Genesis, he tells the servant at the bottom of the mountain, he says this, we are going to go up to the mountain to sacrifice, and then we will come back down. He didn't say, and by the way, we'll go up and I'll come back down. And when they're walking up the hill, oh, this is a question that always kind of caught in my throat for the longest time, because I was always trying to remember what it would be like for me walking up a mountain with my son Eric knowing that I was going to sacrifice him to God and halfway up the mountain Eric would say daddy we got no sheep what are we going to sacrifice What would you say Remember what Abraham said the Lord will provide the Lord will provide I mean, he had no doubt that somehow God was going to spare his son or resurrect him from the dead. Why? Because he had the promises of God. So friends, I'd ask you, what are you going to say when God says, I want you to sacrifice your greatest dream, the thing you value most, the thing you crave most? What are you going to do when God says, I want you to sacrifice that on the altar to me? I mean, are you going to be willing to do what Abraham did? Will you hope against hope? Will you rely on God's promises? Romans 4.18 says, Though it seemed Abraham's hope could not be fulfilled, he did become the father of many nations, exactly as God promised. You know, the disciples walked around with Jesus for three years. They thought he was going to set up this big kingdom and that somehow they were all going to get their own little mini thrones, their little, little mini pope chairs. You know, But then one day they look up and guess what? Jesus isn't sitting on a throne. Where is he? He's hanging on a cross. You look at him hanging on a cross long enough and guess what? You've got a dead Jesus up there too. You talk about a dead end in your life. You have all these dreams and now your, your dream is hanging dead on a cross. I mean, these disciples are dead devastated. I mean, here's the Messiah, the Son of God. How in the world can the Son of God be hanging dead on a cross? Their problem was it was Friday, and they didn't know Sunday was coming. They didn't know Easter was on the way. I mean, God specializes in turning dead situations around and resurrecting situations that look hopeless when we rely on his promises. I mean, each of us, every last one of us, I don't care how old you are, male, female, young, old, we've all got our own unique tests of faith. But God's promises are the same for every last one of us. I mean, I don't, you know, I go back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is the one that God's planted on my heart, my life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding and all his ways. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he'll make straight your path. I don't care. Your path may look crooked. It's going to be different than what my path looks like. But his promises are still there. He'll straighten it out no matter what yours looks like if you just trust on him and, and rely on him and, and acknowledge him. You need to be ready for God to redirect you in life. I mentioned this this morning in Bible class. I have a GPS. What happens when you got a GPS and you drive by your exit? The little voice says, refocusing, (laughs) redirecting, repositioning. I mean, that's what God does is we go zipping down the highway of life and we skip the exit that God wants us on. And God God in his great grace does what? He he redirects us. He repositions us. He gives us a second chance. There's an old Christian song. I don't remember who sang it. If I think about it long enough, I will. Dallas Home, I just remembered. Uh, And in there he says, when God closes a door, look for a window. And how true that is. God may close doors in your life, but there's always another window. God may just want to redirect you for a while. Here's the fourth thing you need to know, and that's to recognize the facts. Romans 4 says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his, his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver in his unbelief. See, Abraham looked at the situation and said, man, I'm an old dude, I'm 99 years old. And look at this prune. 89. He does not deny the facts in front of his face. He faces those facts, though, with faith. And friend, this is very important. Faith does not ignore reality. Do you ever meet a person who uh, is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly value? I mean, they, they can't hardly deal with reality? I mean, faith does not ignore reality. Faith doesn't Pretend you don't have a problem. Faith is not denial. See, faith asks you to face the realities in your life without getting discouraged by it. It's not, it's not clinging to the past. It's not stubborn foolishness. Can I give you another good word today? I mean, some of you, if you're waiting for eight tracks to come back, get over it. If some of you are still waiting for those dimpled chads to be counted and Al Gore is president, get over it. I mean, don't hang on to stuff that's dead and gone. I mean, one thing I've told a lot of people over the years is this, when the horse dies, get another horse. You know, when the horse dies, dismount. When a dream dies, get off of it, saddle up another dream, because God's not through with you yet. I mean, some of you, what you really need to do is declare a day of grieving, a day of personal grieving. To do some legitimate grieving in your life, Things have not turned out the way you've planned them. I mean, what you dreamt about is not going to happen. Now, don't throw yourself a pity party. Instead, believe that God knows what's best and say, Lord, it didn't turn out the way I planned it, but God, you've got a better plan. The reason so many of my dreams die is why? is because they're my dreams and not God's dreams. I mean, churches do that a lot, too. Church says, eh, we got a vision. Come on, God, bless our vision. And God's going, why should I bless your vision? Because I have one of my own for your church. We're going to look and see and ask ourselves, what is God saying to us as a church? And when we figure that out, we say, okay, God, we willingly join you there. There's a final thought here, too, and that's just to rejoice in anticipation. Rejoice in anticipation. Joyfully expect God to act in your life. Joyfully believe that God is going to do great things in your life. Romans 4 says, Abraham never doubted. He believed God for his faith and trust grew even stronger. And he praised God, notice this, for this blessing even before it happened. Did you get that? He rejoiced even before it happened. That's extreme faith. When you thank God for something after it happens, guess what, friends? That's called gratitude. When you thank God for something before it happens, that's faith. Let me give you an example, great example from the Bible. Jesus comes to the town of Bethany to raise Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, Mary and Martha's uh, brother from the dead. He goes up to the grave, and the Bible says that before he prays, This is what Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have already heard me. Isn't that amazing? I thank you that you've already heard me. He's thanking God in advance because he knows that God wants to deliver and that God will deliver. Do you know there are three different kinds of deliverance that God uses in your life? One of them would be what I call circumstantial deliverance. Sometimes God just changes the circumstances in your life. Doesn't always do that, but sometimes he does. Moves you to a different town. Moves you to a different situation. Different school, different classroom. God just changes the circumstances. Sometimes God also does personal deliverance. He doesn't change the circumstances. What does he do? He changes you. That's probably the one most of us need. I mean, most of us don't need a new job or a new place to live or a new school or whatever. Some of us just need to suck it up and let God work on us. We need an attitude adjustment. We need an internal dope slap, you know, where God just said, come on, get with it, you know, shape up. There's a third form of deliverance God gives that most of us don't look upon as being good, but it is really great. Sometimes there's enough pain in life that it's only going to be relieved through what we would call the ultimate deliverance, and that's heaven. That's a form of deliverance, too, friends. It's the ultimate deliverance. It's called heaven. One day, we're going to a place, at least those of us who know the Lord, where there is no more sorrow, there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sadness. That's the ultimate deliverance that God can give to any of his children. Friends, you know this as well as I do. God has not promised that all of your loved ones are going to live for as long as you want them to live. God's never promised that. God has not promised that you will not have any difficulties in this life. God has not promised that you will not have any dead ends or delays. He has not promised to take away all of your pain. But I can tell you something. This Bible says that he has promised to give you strength to handle whatever situation comes through your life. And he has promised that he will ultimately deliver you. Whether he doesn't change your circumstance or whether he doesn't change you, he may just say, it's time for you to come home to be with me where there is no more sorrow, suffering, sickness, or sadness. Romans 5.2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God, my friends? It's heaven. But there's only one way to get there. That's very important for you to know because there are a lot of other people out there who will tell you that there are many ways to get to heaven. I've studied enough about world religions to know that they're all wrong. I mean, Christianity is the only one that worships a living God. Everybody else worships a dead God. I'm not interested in dead gods. I know that the Buddhists say that there are many paths to heaven. They haven't figured out which path it is. You've got Muslims who say, well, the, the prophet Muhammad pointed to the right place, but even Muhammad at his death said, I never figured out where it was. And then over here, you got Jesus saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the only way we get to this ultimate deliverance is by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for deliverance in the Bible is salvation. That's what salvation really means. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your deliverer, and that is a far cry from positive thinking. That's a far cry from wishful thinking. But God offers us the best hope there is in this world. Are you at a dead end this morning? My voice is just about at a dead end. (laughs) I can tell. But guess what? Jesus can turn your Hopeless dead ends into endless hope. Whatever problem seems hopeless to you, give it to him and give your life to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the dreams you give us. We pray that we actually see the dreams you give us and not chase our own dreams and ask you to follow Lord, thanks for giving us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and all these chances for picking us up and dusting us off and pushing us back on our way. Lord, we even thank you for the gift of ultimate deliverance, that gift of heaven. And Father, always remind us that you can turn our hopeless dead ends into endless hope. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.